0: The rain pelted the car like it was trying to hammer its way through, and the thunder followed claps of lightning like a beast threatening to enter. A.J. usually liked the sound of rain, especially against the windshield. But tonight was like a nightmare, like another life she wished to escape. She was shedding her own rain from her eyes, and it would not stop. She could have died out there today, and Frank Hickman had. His body was out there rotting in the cold and the dark. The same people who had killed him had tried to kill her, Amy Jo tried to comprehend that. Someone out there hated her so much that they wanted to rid the world of her presence. She could not fathom that level of spite. Dylan sat in the driver's seat quietly contemplating. It was no longer a matter of solving the case. It was a matter of figuring out what to do. Gang violence had always been a problem in Lakefront City, but it now seemed like a national emergency. Their primary connection to federal law enforcement was the Bureau of Investigation, And that was being run by the very hitman they were after. The local police would be spearheaded by the district attorney and Dylan had just learned that he had been assassinated. And to top it all off, his own client was in on the plan. Who else was a part of it? Dylan did not know. It could be anyone that they turned to. And clearly he and True were targets. He considered driving them out of town, letting the heat blow over. A problem this large wouldn't be allowed to persist and the state and federal government would get involved to quell open warfare on the streets. But then Dylan retraced the ground of his thoughts, his client. It was clear to Dylan now that she had hired him to find out who would want to kill her husband so that Richard Barson could preemptively kill them. He had been used. But this came as a blessing, as Dylan had a connection that could trace her address by her phone number. This was the one link into the heart of what was going on. He looked at his friend AJ and asked, you want to do something about all this or you want to go home? AJ looked at him and seemed to suck in her tears. I want to do something about it, she said in a raspy angry voice. Dylan reached past her and opened his glove compartment. Inside was a 38 revolver. He leaned away and put the car in gear. AJ pulled out the gun. She checked to make sure it was loaded. It was. She closed it and held it tight and Dylan drove them into the dark and stormy night. Welcome to RPG Storytime, the channel where we take stories generated out of role-playing games and narrate them in short, digestible segments. Today, we conclude the Gangbusters adventure, Death in Spades. The module is by Tracy Ray Hickman, and the story is Game Mastered and Written by Jeff MacArthur. Alicia's apartment had access through the front door and through back windows. Dylan took the front while AJ took the back. Both hid their weapons, but had them ready to pull out as they approached. Dylan neared the front door slowly, deliberately, watching for guards or assassins or even neighbors. Everyone was closed in, the glow from their windows turning raindrops into sparkles. When he got to the front, Dylan pressed up close to the wall just beside the door. He grabbed the handle just to make sure it was locked it wasn't. He was surprised to find that it twisted in a loud entry. Dylan pulled his gun and swung it open, slipping inside. Though it was an apartment, it was laid out like a small mansion. A bright, clean foyer offered a shoe rack, a coat hanger, a table and mirror, and a pot to deposit one's umbrella. This would be useful on a night like this for those who had remembered to bring one. Dylan just closed the door quietly. The door ahead of him was open to a kitchen. He could hear a radio playing in the room to his right, so he turned off the light to the room he was in and quietly opened the door. The music was morose, sentimental. The radio was on the floor, despite there being a table clearly intended for its use. A woman sat beside it, one leg spread out before her. She was splashed with light from a single lamp. The rest of the room was dark. Dylan scanned the room with his gun outstretched. An entryway led to the dining room to his left but no one was about. He stepped toward the woman and confirmed it was Alicia. She looked up at him, her face so wet with tears she might as well have just been outside. "'So now they sent you to kill me, too, huh?' she asked. Dylan kept his gun ready. He stood over her, his trench coat dripping all over her rug. "'I paid you well,' Alicia said. "'That should be enough for you to do it quickly.' She lowered her head and closed her eyes, prepared to die. Where is your husband? Dylan asked. Don't you know? Or did the hangman send you? Neither, Dylan said. Why is he killing people all over town? We were supposed to simply suss out who was trying to kill him, pull a charade so they would reveal themselves. Even the body we swapped was supposed to be someone already dead from the morgue, but it turns out his brother... God, I was so stupid. Footsteps strode in behind Dylan. AJ had been quieter coming through the window than Dylan had thought she would be. He continued to question Alicia. How many have they killed? I lost count. Father. An informant. A DA and a fed. I heard there were others. Dylan finally noticed the bruises on her face. He lowered his gun, believing her story. Also, he now had AJ to cover for him he heard her behind him. But it wasn't her. Where is he? came the angry voice directly behind Dylan. He turned, his eyes suddenly staring down the barrel of a gun. It was held by a man whose face looked like it had been smashed with an army of baseball bats, and whose clothes had been shredded. He was not in a mood to chat idly. Dylan held his hands out to show that he wouldn't be any trouble. Alicia straightened, startled. Who? she asked. "'Both Dylan and the intruder looked over at her "'with an expression that asked if she was really serious. "'She started to answer, "'but then a gun cocked next to the intruder's head. "'Dylan recognized the sound. "'It was his thirty-eight. "'He slipped out of the way of the forty-five "'that was pointed at his head and thanked A.J. "'A.J. didn't respond to him with her usual politeness. "'She said coldly to the man whose life was in her hands, "'Who are you?' "'Name's Vinny,' the man said defiantly. "'Vinny, I've lost one friend today.' I don't intend to lose another. Drop the gun before I splatter. Then he dropped the gun. No more death, Alicia said. I will tell you where my husband is, but you have to promise to try to send him to jail alive. No promises, Dylan said, but we'll try. Alicia nodded. Then she told him, There is a casino in the basement of the Mancusi Mansion. I, I know about, about it. it. Taken aback by the response, Alicia went past explaining how to get to it and said that both Richard and the hangman were there. Dylan sighed with discouragement. Getting down there was going to be suicide. They would have to get past the entire remains of the Mancussi gang, and he told the others. I know an easier way to get in, Vinny said. We were sworn to secrecy about it, but since I'm a dead man to them, I guess it doesn't matter. Vinny explained that a tunnel led from a secret entrance in the hill to the basement in the mansion. It was supposed to be a way out during raids, but it could be a way in for those who knew how to use it. AJ drove and Dylan kept a gun on Vinny. They didn't know him from Adam, and they were already trusting their lives to his honesty about the secret entrance. They were not about to give him too much leeway in their car. The rain was still falling when they reached their destination, but it had lessened. Their path would be off the road, climbing the hill toward the back of the Mancusi mansion. The ground was soggy with mud, and it was hard to climb, but they could not wait for it to dry. They had to make their way up the slope as best they could, helping each other along the way. At one point, Dylan dropped his pistol and Vinnie grabbed his gun to keep him from slipping down the hill. He had the P.I. at his mercy, but he didn't take advantage of it. Dylan got his gun back, and from then on he trusted the thug. He had been beaten up enough to have proven himself. After a half hour of difficult climbing and getting covered in mud and gunk, Vinnie stopped them. He cleared away some brambles and brush, revealing a doorway, which he opened. A corridor sat beyond. Dylan went in first. Then Vinny, followed last by A.J., who still didn't trust their new friend. The square cement hallway smelled of the dankness of a storm drain, complete with the sound of occasional dripping. After close to a minute of walking, they heard a pair of voices ahead. They stopped to listen. It was male voices. Richard and his brother, Vinny whispered. Which one sounds like the little girl? A.J. asked. Vinny turned to Dylan and pointed at A.J. I like this one, he said. Dylan led as they crept forward. The cave ended at a sliding door, which Dylan cautiously opened. On the opposite side, it was a fake shelf that sat behind a cashier and a security desk. The casino was closed at the moment, so the only two people inside were the two who were chatting on the chairs further inside. Within the security desk, Dylan found an entire arsenal. A pair of Tommy guns were paired with shotguns, and a few pistols. He and Vinnie took the Thompson SMGs, and the women took the shotguns. The group remained for a moment, crouched beneath cover while they listened to the brothers chat about nothing. They didn't even have the decency to talk about the people whose lives they had ended. Dylan whispered to the group to hold their fire and speak as quietly as possible because they didn't want to wake anyone upstairs. Then he told them that the casino was soundproof, so they could talk as loud as they wanted to, but a gunshot might be heard upstairs, so they should try to avoid that. They all nodded that they were ready, and the group rushed out from behind the counter, their guns leveled on the two surprised men. Richard's hands were up, but his brother reached inside his jacket. You're dead if you do that, Vinny started to say. It was enough to slow the hangman, but A.J. stepped forward, the shotgun ready and in his face. No, please, pull out the gun. Keep reaching and pull it out. My friend died today because of you, so I want to blow your head off. I don't care what happens after that. We'll kill your brother and deal with the rest ourselves. So go on, grab your gun! The man looked at the others, whose expression said she was crazy enough, or angry enough, to do it. So he pulled his hand away. Alicia stepped forward and pulled his gun from his jacket pocket. Where's the phone? Dylan asked. What I see here is enough to shut them down for at least a little while. Plus, there's enough in the accountant's office to shut them down for a lot longer than that, Vinny said. You sure you want to do that, Vinny? The hangman said. His hands raised just above the armrest of his chair. Your hands are dirty, too. I'm a dead man, Vinny said. Didn't you hear? I'm one of your victims. That's what the record will say, and someone else will start living after this, I suppose. The hangman didn't respond, so Vinny told Dylan where the phone was, and he went to make the call. Alicia walked behind Richard as he tried to blubber an excuse to her. Don't even try, Barston. We've only known each other a month. Richard sighed, and he started to explain himself to the others, seeking mercy. Ten years ago, I was the cream of the crop, he said. Then they put me on the killings in this mansion. I was writing a clear track to promotion. Except when I was ready to spring the trap, the killer turned out to be my own kid brother. Can you beat Alicia's his throat? Richard's brother screamed in horror. He leaped at him and tried to hold in the blood, but it was futile. Richard's eyes stared at him, his last sight. It had all been for him. Alicia stood over him unrepentant. Dylan and Vinny stared at her, stunned. A.J. kept her gun on the hangman. You done making the call yet? A.J. asked coldly. You monsters! the brother shouted. I'm still willing to put a slug in your head if you want it, A.J. promised without regret. Dylan told his friend in the force that they had better send out everything they could immediately or they were going to be scraping dead bodies off the floor. Vinnie gave them directions through the secret entrance so they could assault the manor from the inside. By that time, they had the hangman tied up and A.G. separated from him. By the time they were done, they would have enough evidence regarding who hired him, who he killed, and what the syndicate was responsible for doing. Through all the contact information that Mencussi had gathered, they would also have sufficient information to go after the other two gangsters as well. And since their own agents had been murdered and even the D.A. had been killed, the newly formed FBI would be getting involved to clean up the mess. Lakefront City would finally be safe. But that was in the near future. In the present, after the raid was complete and the Mancusi mob had been taken away along with the hangmen, Dylan Grebel found Amy Jo True seated in one of the chairs at the edge of the balcony looking out over the hill, past the city at the rising sun. The cloud cover was retreating though much of it still remained, and the yellow and orange light rippled across the sky. Dylan strolled up beside A.J., a bottle of scotch in one hand with a glass on top of it and a half-full glass in the other. He dropped down into the neighboring seat, spilling only a little of his drink and putting the edge to his mouth to catch some more before it fell out. Isn't it a little early to start? A.J. began. Dylan answered by holding the bottle out to her with the glass on the end as an offering. She took it then threw the glass full force over the balcony. Somewhere in the distance, they could hear it smash into a tree far below as Dylan watched in surprise. AJ then grabbed the rest of the bottle, ganked off the lid, and drank straight from it. Dylan chucked his glass over the balcony as hard as he could as well, listening for the satisfying crash as he took the bottle back and guzzled it. "'You know they're talking about repealing Prohibition,' AJ said. "'Talking,' Dylan said. "'There's too much talking in the world.' "'That's my profession, you know,' AJ said." Your profession is words. That's different. Thought through, considered, and edited. Too many people speak without thinking. They each took long swigs of their drinks. Then AJ asked, Did you get paid before they took your client away in cuffs? Who says she was taken away by the police? Dylan asked. But she was an accomplice to the murders, and she killed... Yeah, I do need to be more careful with choosing my clients, Dylan said. They'll still catch her at her apartment, and the other guy will have to stay hidden. Mancusi had a lot of money in his vault, enough to pay double my salary and for both of them to retire in some faraway place. Is that for talking or for writing? A.J. asked. That all goes down like a fine Scotch, like the rest of my memories. Dylan said as he took a deep swig. A.J. took the bottle and downed some more herself. She had more words to say and ask, but she realized the peace of the moment and said no more. She instead leaned back in her chair and took in the fresh air of the new day after the rain had washed away the muck of the night, and they listened to the squawks and chatter of the waking birds. This concludes our presentation of RPG Storytime, Gangbusters, a playthrough of Death and Spades by Tracy Hickman. I hope you've enjoyed all of our Gangbuster stories. This is the end of the campaign. Next time we will begin a new campaign. Subscribe to the channel to hear more tales of RPG games, or check out our YouTube channel. The link is in the description. You can also read books by the writer and game master of these stories by going to bandwagononline.com. We hope you enjoyed it, and happy gaming, everybody.